Well, again, uh, good to see you. Glad you're here this morning. Happy summer. Really feels like it's summer for real now. And uh, it's time for a new sermon series. We finished Romans last week, but it turns out that there's 65 other books of the Bible. So uh, I guess there's some other stuff to talk about. So let's, let's talk about some other stuff. Let me throw this out to you to let you know what we're doing this summer. Um, the, probably the very first gospel that was written, it's not first in sequence in the New Testament, but probably the one that was first written was the Gospel of Mark. And Mark starts with a quote from what we call the Old Testament, and it's a quote from Malachi. It's telling about John the Baptist getting people ready for the Messiah. It's a quote from Malachi. Uh, as I mentioned, we just got through with Romans. In the first chapter of Romans, there's a quote from the Old Testament, extremely important for what the rest of the book is going to be about. Paul quotes this statement about the just shall live by faith. And that's a quote from Habakkuk. Um, think about this. In the last 50 years or so, there's been a lot of, uh, at least in the United States, there's been a lot more attention on the part of Christians to say, hey, the Bible calls us as followers of Jesus to care about these things like justice, or what some people call social justice, deeds of mercy. That's something that God's people are supposed to care about. And a lot of times when they quote the Bible to demonstrate that, they'll quote from books like Amos and Micah. Now, all those books that I just mentioned, these tend to be the cleaner pages in someone's Bible, they're from the last 12 books in our Old Testament, and we call these the minor prophets. Now, that, that, the term minor, minor doesn't mean value or importance. It just means size. These books are, are smaller than the longer prophetic books like Isaiah and Jeremiah. But this, this group of 12 books, the 12 prophets, the minor prophets, we want to look at these this summer. And uh, what Jake and Tim and I are going to be doing is taking one per week. We're just going to go, we're going to start with Hosea. Go to Malachi. Just take one, preach on a representative passage, but use that passage to sort of let you see a little bit more about the book as a whole. And just to get into this part of the Word that we're not normally in. So, so Minor Prophets, it is, summer 2015. Uh, I'm starting off with Hosea. Let me just say a quick word, then I'm going to read it. This is uh, during a period where so much prophetic activity took place. This is the 8th century B.C., not a good time for the people of God, especially because of idolatry. And in the case of the people that Hosea is sent to, there was the southern kingdom called Judah, and there was the northern kingdom called, well, multiple names, Israel, Ephraim, other, other names. Hosea was mostly sent to the northern kingdom. This message is mostly for Israel. Uh, they're worshiping Baal. God of agriculture, God of fertility, God of sexuality. Not a good time in Israel's history. Um, Hosea gives some very, very, very dire warnings. And, not but, it speaks about God's love for his people, even as they are wicked. So the passage I'm going to look at is the very last chapter of Hosea. Um, it's representative in a lot of ways, and we'll try to connect the dots to other parts of the book. But let's look at Hosea chapter 14. Return, O Israel, 
to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to Him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoot shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them, for the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Amen. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word, and thank You that we can gather together, not, not in our own name, but in your name, in Jesus' name. And please help us, please feed us, please give us red meat and strong drink through what you've said through your prophet. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I, I don't know how many of you still watched uh, David Letterman up till a few weeks ago, you know, this past month was David Letterman's last month after uh, 30-something years, late night with David Letterman, and uh, I grew up watching him. That, might, that may or may not have been a good thing, but, uh, but I did. But, uh, you know, he, there was kind of this greatest hits lineup of guests, just some of his favorite people, favorite musicians, and on one of the almost, not the final episode, but one of the uh, latter episodes he had on Eddie Vedder as the musical guest, Eddie Vedder, um, lead singer for Pearl Jam. And he, uh, he, it's an interesting song choice. He sang a song called Better Man. And there's speculation about why he did that. Did he, like, did he do that because Better Man rhymes with Letterman? Uh, I mean, or, or was it a joke about that uh, they couldn't find a better replacement for Letterman than someone else, a better man? Anyway, he sings this song called Better Man. And you, and you may or may not know this song, but he, here's how it starts. It's about a woman waiting, watching the clock. It's four o'clock. It's got to stop. Tell him. Take no more. She practices her speech as he opens the door. She rolls over, pretends to sleep as he looks her over. She lies and says she's in love with him. Can't find a better man. She dreams in color. She dreams in red. Can't find a better man. The end of the song says this. She loved him. Yeah, she don't want to leave this way. She feeds him. That's why she'll be back again. 
can't find a better man. And uh, I know at least in one performance of this about 10 years ago, Eddie Vedder said that this song was about his stepfather and his mom. And it's about a woman trapped in an abusive relationship, but she stays with this man because she can't imagine that she would find someone better. And I just as, as, I, as I made my way into Hosea, this song came to mind because a, a recurring, and I would even say a dominant image that's used in the book of Hosea is that God is the great husband of his people. And, and that came up last week. That is a huge theme in the Bible, Old Testament and New, that God isn't just king or ruler or even savior of his people, but he is his people's groom husband. And that in the book of Hosea, the charge that he brings against his people is, you do have the ultimate man, if I can put it that way. You do have the ultimate spouse, but you can't stop wanting someone worse. You want a worse spouse. It's like you can't imagine something better than this idol or that idol or aligning yourself with this this bad alliance with a nation that hates me when I'm your husband. It's a dominant, and I'm about to talk about that more, dominant image in Hosea. Along with that, there's a recurring term in the book of Hosea. Um, now, in English, it's translated turn or return or even a few other terms, but, but just the Hebrew verb for turn is all through the book of Hosea. And that term is actually all through the prophets as a whole. The context determines if it's a good turning or a bad turning. There's a bad turn that human beings can do when it comes to God. And there's a good turn that people can do when it comes, when it comes to God. The New Testament term for what the prophets call turning is repent. Now, that's a big deal, and we'll talk about that more in a second, but just, just tuck that away. What I want to look at is how the word turn shows up in this passage. In one form or another, it's in our passage five times. And the way it's translated is return. So I want to think about it this way. First off, if God is calling to His people to return, return from where? Or return from What? That's the first question. The second question is this. How do you return? What, what does that mean? What do you do? How do you return? And then the third thing is, what happens to returners? Okay, so where are we returning from? What are we returning from? Where are they returning from? Uh, what does returning mean? What do you do? How do you do it? And then third, what happens to returners? The first off... What is the return from? And I want you to look at this first verse. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Now, there's, there's a whole batch of terms for sin in the Bible. This is one of the big ones. It's in the book of Hosea at least ten times. It's in this chapter a couple, I mean, it's in this chapter a couple of times. What does iniquity mean? Iniquity is a term for what you might call it's the sinfulness of sin. In other words, it's not just that you miss the mark, 
it's not just that you stepped out of the boundaries that, that God set for us, but it's, it's the wickedness of it. It's the, it's the darkness of sin, that there's a willfulness and a twistedness about it. That, that's, that's what iniquity means. Um, the reason that's important to see in the book of Hosea, and there's just no easy way for me to say this. This sermon is kind of PG-13 this morning because the book of Hosea is. It's not R, but it is PG-13. And I don't want to be um, more earthy necessarily than, than the Bible, but I don't want to be less earthy than the Bible. A recurring term, or recurring terms in the book of Hosea are whore, whoring, adultery, prostitute, prostitution. And you may or may not know this about the book of Hosea. We're looking at the end. But the book begins with God coming to the prophet Hosea and calling him, now this is God doing this, calling him to marry a prostitute. Why would he do that? And he actually says in chapter 3, here's what this is doing. And this is interesting because sometimes in the Bible, prophets are object lessons. They're billboards for something that God doesn't just want you to hear. He wants you to see it. Here's what God says in, in Hosea 3. And the Lord said to me, go again. Talking to Hosea. Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. And what is God saying? Hosea, you're going to be a giant object lesson for what it's like for me to be married to my people. That I'm going to commit myself to you with a covenant. I'm going to marry you. And then my people are going to, and this is his language, my people are going to play the whore. That, that spiritually speaking, they are going to take their clothes off with other gods in other nations when I'm their husband. When we return, and when God calls these people to return, returning is from what? Returning is from wickedness. And that's not a term that we use a lot. It's from iniquity. It is from our sin. Why is it important why is it important to have a taxonomy of sin and to call it something like iniquity or spiritual adultery? And in some ways, to do that, it keeps you from two different ditches. Think about this. Here's the first ditch. And I want you to hear me out on this because I'm going to circle back to this at the end. There's a term that's really made its way into Christian lingo, Christian jargon, and it's the word brokenness. And the word brokenness is just getting at the fact that, man, when Adam sinned, when Adam disobeyed God, the, the world changed, and we changed. The world is fallen. The world is broken. And we are fallen, and we're broken. Now, that is true, and I want to come back to that in a second. But there's a way that Christians can say that that's sort of like, you know what, I just, you know, my hands are tied, I'm broken. It's almost like if, if we were toasters that could talk, and God is coming to us saying, why isn't the bread toasted the way I wanted it to be toasted? We're kind of going, because we're broken. 
Almost that this is something that passively happened to me. And it's right and appropriate and biblical sometimes to say, I sin because I want to sin. I disobey God because I want to disobey God and I willed to disobey God. And that it's wrong and it's twisted and it's dark. To say that keeps us from a wrong use of thinking about I'm broken or we're broken. But here's the other ditch. What if that's not your problem? What if your problem is I've just done so many bad things I could never go to heaven. Like, I I have messed up so bad. I, I have blown it so bad. I'm such damaged good spiritually that he could never love me. Man, the book of Hosea needs to become a book that you read. Because this is God coming to people who've done some very dark things. And again, I'm not trying to be more earthy than Scripture, but it talks in the book of Hosea about the fact that part of worship of Baal was for men to go to these Baal shrines and find cult prostitutes and engage in this sensual worship of Baal. That's something that Israelites were doing. God says to people doing that, I want you to return to me. That's extremely hopeful to think about the fact that God isn't talking to people that, you know, I just don't write enough letters. Or, you know, I've I've only been giving 9% of my gross instead of 10%. Yeah, I'm a sinner. He is coming to people doing some some just twisted, wicked, dark things and saying, return from that to me. That's already a window into who he is. All right, what does returning look like? How, how does someone return? You know, if you're going to go somewhere, you need, a couple of things you need to know. Know your destination and know what to take. And he actually says both. And what does he say? L- look at verse 1 again. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. And I, I bring this up a lot because as I've told so many of you, I felt like it took way too long for me to get this point, and I want you to get this point. When the Bible says turn, when God's Word says repent, where is the turn? And for the longest time I thought, okay, the turn is for me to stop doing bad stuff and to turn to obeying, and that is not what the prophets say. And this is consistent through these books, and it's consistent in the New Testament. God doesn't say, hey, quit doing wicked things, quit doing that iniquity, and turn to obedience. He says, turn to what? Me. Turn to me. You turn to the Lord. Not to our ability to fix ourselves or to our ability to straighten up or be more disciplined. Turn to the Lord. That's where you're going. What do you take? Look at what God says through Hosea. Take with you words and return to the Lord and say to Him, take away all iniquity 
Accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Now, that last phrase has, has sort of baffled commentators because it literally says, we will pay the bulls of our lips. What does that mean? God says, return to me, take along your words. And here's what he seems to be saying. Don't throw temple worship at me. Don't make some sacrifice. Don't, don't think that because you went and bought some expensive bull or lamb or goat and you do your sacrifice or, or you burn this incense or you do that, just some kind of religious ceremony, don't come to me with that. I want you to come with yourself and your words in honesty. When you turn to me, A friend of mine told me about something that happened to a mutual acquaintance of ours. This mutual acquaintance is a young dad. Um, He and his wife had their first child as a boy, and the dad did what a lot of dads do. He he sort of initially adjusted to kind of get past the initial point of, you know, having this newborn, and then he went back and he didn't change his work schedule at all. And then they have a second child, and he makes a few initial alterations, and then he's still just going just as long and as hard as he ever has, so he's just hardly ever home. And by this time, they're, they're older when the, two year, uh, the son is about two or three years old. Now, two or three-year-olds act out all the time, but this one was really acting out. And one night at bedtime, he was unconsolable. And this is amazing. They put him up on their bed mom and dad, and they said to him, what do you want? And I I think he was no older than three, and he may have been two. He pointed to his dad and said, I want you, and he pointed to the mom, and I want you. Whoa. That this child was able to verbalize I don't want food. I don't want movies. I, don't, I want you. God threw out his word, looks at us and says, I, not because he needs us, not because there's any lack on his part, but he looks at us in love and says, I want you. Don't throw religiosity at me. Don't throw temple worship at me. Don't throw church at me. I want you. Come with your words. Have you ever realized that you thought you had said something and you never actually said it? Like, have you ever realized, have I ever told my best friend, you are my best friend? That has kind of felt like at some point in the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years I said that, but we never have. I mean, it could be that we... Right now, there are things that we... I'll scratch that, Your Honor, from the record. Not could be. It it most certainly is the case that there are things that we think we've said to God and we've never said it. have, Have we ever come so honestly as to say... I mean, think about what time of year it is. Lord, I believe that vacation is more life giving than you are. And to be honest with him? Lord, it is more important to me 
that I be close to my family or that I be close to my friends than that I be close to you. It is more important to me that I have that rather than I have you. We may feel like, yeah, I'm sure I've said that somewhere along the way, and we've never said that. And here's the thing. The saying of that doesn't merit anything. It doesn't tie God's hands, but he's saying, for your good, for your heart, I want you to come to me with your words, not religiosity and not jumping through some hoop. I want you to be honest because I want you. That's what we bring. And and look what it sounded like when they did it. They do it in verse 3. This is Israel talking. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. We will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. In their context, what what is Israel saying? Maybe for the first time in their lifetime, God, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we've been looking to other nations to be our strength. And you're our strength. We've lied to ourselves. We've made things with our hands, and we've bowed down to them, which is just idiotic, and we've said, save me. Give me crops, give me family, give me money, give me happiness. But we need to do that too. It may be that we're looking, maybe not out loud to our child, we we could be looking at a child, we could be looking at work, we could be looking at a body type, we could be looking at a triathlon time. Give me value. And we need to say to God, I look to everyone and everything else to give me value. I look to everyone and everything everything else to give me rest in life. And only you can give me rest in life. Come to me with your words. Well, what happens to people who do this? What happens to returners? And, um, man, this is my favorite part. When, When Jesus told three parables about something being lost and then being found. It's in Luke chapter 15. There's a lost coin, there's a lost sheep, and then there's the the lost sons, the parable of the prodigal son. But you know, in that chapter, he says something that's just fantastic. Imagine that, Jesus saying something fantastic. Uh, He says, There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. And for the longest time, I thought that meant Wow, there's more joy in heaven when someone, for the first time, believes in Christ and turns to God, you know, like all the angels, yay, than over 99 people who don't need to be saved. That's not what he said. He didn't say initial repentance. Any repentance. There's more joy in heaven. And in the context, the joy seems to be not so much on the angels' part, but on the part of who? When he tells the parable, who runs out to the son who turns back and celebrates and throws a feast and embraces him and kisses him? Angels? The father. It's God's joy. Not just for a first repentance, all repentance, more so than over 99 you know, righteous persons who don't need to repent. Look at, what, look at the joy in heaven in verse 4. I will heal their apostasy 
And this is, this is really cool. It doesn't come through in the English, but in Hebrew, the word apostasy, the root of, a, of the word is to turn. It's this wicked turning away from God that eventually just becomes systemic. And God says, I'll heal you. I'll heal you of your apostasy. What image do you find at the very beginning and the very end of the Bible? There's a thing at the beginning and the end of the Bible. The tree of life. Garden of Eden, end of Revelation. And it says at the end of Revelation that this tree of life has these leaves and all the nations of the world go take these leaves and it's for something. And you know what? It doesn't say that the tree is for the forgiveness of the nations, although God does forgive the nations. But it says the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And let's go back to this brokenness thing. I do decide to sin. I will to sin. I make up my mind to sin, and I do it. And I am broken. I'm broken because I'm descended from Adam, and I I have piled on by hurting myself with my own sin. I have damaged myself, and you've damaged yourself. God says, turn to me, and one day, this is going to start now, but one day, ultimately, definitively, I'm going to heal not only everything that's wrong with you physically, but everything that's wrong with you spiritually, not just to take away your guilt, but that thing in you that keeps wanting to turn away from me, I'm going to heal you. You you just won't want another Savior. You won't want to worship something else. You'll want me, which will give you joy. I'll heal you. I'll heal your apostasy. And he says this. This is incredible. People involved in Baal worship, cult prostitution, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. How wicked can you be and God love you? Pretty wicked. Pretty sinful. Quite perverted. Quite twisted. God says, turn to me. I will love you freely. And then what will happen to you? Verses 5 through 7. You'll be in vacation Bible school the rest of eternity. No, verse (laughs) 5. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoot shall spread out. I've been in this war with vines in my backyard. The only good thing I can say about vines, yay, verily, the only good thing I can say about vines is that they are unbelievable at growing. He says, yeah, that, that if you will turn to me, it will be miracle grow on your soul. The, the growth that you crave will happen, but it's not going to be through you being... Mr. and Miss Discipline and getting your, getting your act together, turn to me. His shoot shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive. I feel like I just heard something about an olive tree. And his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. 
They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom. Would you like verses 5 through 7 to be what's going on in your heart and your spiritual life? Then you know what? We need to turn. Turn to Him. Um, One last thing. Uh, This isn't in the passage I originally read, but but beneath the text there in italics, look at something that God says earlier in the book. He says, Afterward, the children of Israel shall return. There it is again. And seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and His goodness in the latter days. It says, in the latter days, this later time, God's people are going to turn to the Lord and to David their king. Now, David was long dead by this point. What does that mean? And there was this prophecy that David would come back. And this is better than the English myth that one day Arthur comes back. And this is real. That one day David will come back to you. And God says, turn to me and to David. And all these good things will happen in the latter days. You know what that's saying? We don't just turn to a generic God. We turn to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and to His Son. God came in the flesh and He says this, Abide in me and let my words abide in you. And what will happen? You will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. And here's the amazing thing. If you're sitting here right now going, I'm so far gone, I I don't know that I can turn to the Lord. I've got even, even more good news. Scripture says this, repentance like faith is something that God requires of you, but He gives it to you. He requires that we believe and He gives people belief. He requires that we turn. He gives us the ability to turn. Would you say right now that you cannot turn? You need to talk to God. You need to come with your words and be honest with Him and say, I cannot turn to you the way I need to turn to you. Would you give me repentance? Would you give me the turn that my soul needs? I mean... That is always a good idea. And there is no one in this room who couldn't flourish more if that, if that weren't happening more. Turn to the Lord. That's how we bear fruit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we think about your son coming and as soon as he starts to preach and go public as the Messiah, he starts saying, repent. And he sends out his apostles and tells them to tell people to repent. And Lord God, whether it's for the very first time today or whether we've known you for decades, but yet again we're turning away from you, would you grant us the turn that we need? Would you, would you cause us to return to you and say, have mercy on me. Heal me. Cleanse me. Change me.
cause me to bear fruit. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.